There can't have been many busier football administrators this summer than Kenny Young. The West of Scotland League's secretary hasn't just had a new setup to schedule. He's had to deal with a global pandemic, ever-changing conditions and teams pulling out. That's seen conferences ripped up and redrawn and matches altered and called off at the last minute. But in between it all, he's made time to listen to Down the Divisions. And he's ready for some straight talking about what's been said on the show so far. Kenny joins us on the show this week. We'll hear just how chaotic the last few months have been and exactly what's gone on. We'll take a look to what the future holds for the new structure. Plus, we'll reflect on Kenny's long and distinguished career helping to make the juniors game work. As we go down the divisions. Good to have you along for another 60 minutes or so looking at Scotland's lower leagues. So, Paul, the biggest game in New Main's recent history will have to wait, well, I was going to say another week, but it could be a, a few weeks. Uh, well, we need to ask Kenny that. He's on the show, but uh, yeah, it was disappointing. We were looking forward to playing Edinburgh University, but see, to be honest, even during the week, last week, we were checking the weather forecasts and our pitch historically has never been great, like a lot of the old grass parts in, in, in our league. Uh, and kind of on Wednesday, I had that gut feeling that I knew that it wasn't going to make it. And probably, even if it was a fixture this week, we'd be struggling as well. But I've also went on to the weather to look at the, the rainfall over the last, since August. You've September. got too much time. You've got too uh, much time. Do you know yeah, what? You? But do you know what? You try to get games played and you're thinking, historically that part's not been played on for December, eh, November, December, the last probably decade. So you try to think to yourself, you know, what's, what's the weather got to be looking like? September was horrific throughout that month and our part struggles to deal with that so hopefully a nice cold snap now and a high wind and we'll be alright, we'll be good to go next week And a game on a plastic pitch at Yoka this weekend will probably help get a game on as well Yeah definitely, I, there's no chance that I'll be off, I feel like, I'm, I'm sitting here feel like Sean Batty <laughs> We'll say no more, we'll say no more <laughs> Moving quickly on Uh Please do keep the comments and suggestions for, for guests coming. If you're a club in the lower leagues looking for more exposure, we'd also like to hear from you. Send us any post-match audio interviews you have, and we'll play them on the show. Our email address is divisions at gmail.com. divisions at gmail.com. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. My name's Tommy Sloan, Ockley Talbot Manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Well, we're delighted to have the West of Scotland Secretary Kenny Young with us this week. Thanks for joining us, Kenny. Uh, thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity, Gareth. Well, uh, we'll chat some more in a moment. But before we do, we've got the all-new Down the Divisions decider. We'll give you four clues for a particular club, then provide the answer at the end of the show. So this week... We're looking for the club from SPFL League One down that's named after a nearby river. Their crest was designed by a school teacher and has an eagle on it to represent two fishing towns. They've won the Highland League twice and they reached the fourth round of the Scottish Cup in the 2006-07 season losing to then First Division side Partick Thistle. Don't reveal your answers yet, but have you got an idea, Kenny? 
I've no clue. <laughs> that that's pretty uh hmm, pretty extreme that one I'm thinking. <laughs> Paul, obviously you know who it is. Obviously you know who it is, so you'll keep I, it. I, I know I know a Highland team and Eagle on their badge, but I just hope it's that one. <laughs> oh, are you quite are you quite confident? Very confident. All right, well we'll I find might be out. wrong. I might be wrong. We'll find out when we reveal all at the end of the Can show. I, did there used to be two teams? No. Oh, got it wrong now. <laughs> right, okay. Hi, I'm Ross Wilson, manager of Mary Hill, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. West of Scotland League Secretary Kenny Young is with us this week. Well, Kenny, uh, we'll start off just kind of by asking, I guess. I mean, how, how tough, how tough and busy have the last few months been for you? It's been pretty hectic, I'd say. Uh, not been the easiest of starts for the west of Scotland, but uh, it's been a challenge, let me put it that way. But I mean, uh, it's, it's put me to the test. So, yeah, very hard. I mean, when you took the job on, when the old structure became the new structure I guess you couldn't have envisaged it turning out the way it has no certainly no I don't think anybody could have seen this coming Uh, and I knew when the the invite come in what I was going to be up against but uh, it's it's one of those where uh, it was always going to be hard to keep everybody happy and try to get out a fixture list was uh, because there were so many unanswered questions still to come out, i.e. the the teams that were going to withdraw uh, at the first opportunity, and then we were still left with a deadline for teams to withdraw a second opportunity. And we felt we had to give them that opportunity to make things right. So the, the fixture list has been prepared for quite some time, but uh, I had to wait and see what teams were going to be left in and what teams were going to be out. So I did a bit of work on that and I published them yesterday. So we've got the fixture list out to the end of the season. It's just now a case of hopefully we can get them all played. Before we kind of go into that, Kenny, we go back to when we were the juniors. You'd come to secretary for the uh, the West Region juniors and done a great job, fantastic job. What was your view of the whole going to the West of Scotland or staying where we were? Was that something that you thought that maybe the league needed a change, or were you quite happy to to remain as uh, to, to remain as the juniors? Well, obviously. With me being involved with the West Region Juniors, I was happy. I wasn't against the pyramid. I was never against the pyramid. But I was more in favour of the juniors operating the the structure. But that wasn't to be. The Lone League took over that. So that's fine. We still got what we eventually were all after. And that is the 63 clubs from the juniors were transferred across into the new West of Scotland. 
along with the other four clubs that come in at the same time. So we got there eventually. It was just a just a different uh, organisation that was going to operate it. Yeah. Now, at that point, I was no longer uh, doing anything regarding the football, and I get contacted by Dave McKenna from the Lowland League, and he asked me if I would be willing to be co-opted onto uh, helping with the fixtures and then that became a request to become the secretary of the interim management group which I was more than happy to accept because at the end of the day what did we want to see is football getting played When we look at the two structures obviously the committee that was at the West Region Juniors to the new IMG the interim management group do you think there's a completely different way of thinking, the way the two organisations operate? There's a lot of similarities and a lot of differences as well. It's different personnel that's uh, operating it, you know. Um, obviously, the, the juniors, what what they wanted, what we wanted to do in the juniors was just port everything across as it was with the, the, the four inline leagues, which would have been quite easy to transfer but that wasn't to be uh, the, the Lowland League's idea so we've got a new committee new guys are on board uh, and they're all doing a, an excellent job In between the new structure coming in and now you mentioned teams pulling out with a, up until that deadline and you'd be drawing the fixtures up, would your heart just sink when you saw another team pull out? You know, A, because it was an, another team pulling out, but B, because it, <laughs> the more teams that pulled out would mean having to get your, your pen and paper back out again and get the fixtures redrawn or the conferences redrawn as they were as well? Uh, well, no doubt the waste, the waste paper bin kept filling up, but it kept <laughs> filling up again. Uh, so I, uh, you know... I mean, at the end of the day, what we were what we were wanting, we were wanting everybody involved. We we're wanting everybody to play, but you know, it just as a as a management group, we had to look at the survey that we gave to the clubs. There was a lot of questions answered in that survey that gave us a lot of food for thought. And I, I get back to this. So I, I keep telling. People this. We're not there to dictate to clubs or tell clubs what they're doing. We're there to administer the rules that they set out. We're there to do what they request us to do. So we looked at that survey and we had to we had to go along with the results of that. And one of the big results there were that the clubs were thinking that to play football without the fans could see them go at the wall. So that's where the deadlines come in, because we had to give them that opportunity. We're there to protect the 67 clubs, not just the handful that were wanting to back out or the the number that wanted to stay in play. We had to look after everybody. We've got to give every club the decision, and the decision's got to be theirs. We can't... I couldn't... I couldn't sit comfortably telling a club, we don't care what your circumstances are, you're playing football. 
And four or five weeks later, that club goes out the game because no money. I, I wasn't going to be sitting dictating to clubs and to see them go at the wall. So we had to give these clubs the, the choice to make, and the choices were there for them, no for no for us. The choices were quite simple. Do you want to start playing the 24th of October, or do you know? And the choice was they're starting the 24th. No subsequent questions after that didn't matter. The decision was taken that we're starting. So once that decision was taken, we then had to look at the clubs and say to them, right, the decision has been made. We're going to be playing football from the 24th of October. Do you want to be part of it? Now, some clubs were okay with it. They could see we've got the players. The players want to play. Players are willing to accept a cut, play for expenses only, or whatever it was that the, the arrangements the clubs came to. That's fine. But there were other clubs thinking we might no we might no survive to the end of the season if we're getting forced to play. So they decided they would take the season out. So we gave them that. We also had in the survey that uh, uh, some of the clubs replied that they wouldn't survive more than four weeks. So we gave them the four-week deadline and allowed them to play football to see how they felt after that four weeks was passed. And some of them decided, no, it's no for us. And the rest of them, thankfully, were all there to play. So once that deadline was passed, we could now see where we were and we could set out the fixtures accordingly. And like I say, let's hope we can get to the very end of it. It's always great seeing different perspectives, Kenny. Certainly we had your perspective, obviously, on that was I, I certainly didn't understand why we had this period of time to allow teams to fall out. But obviously, as you, you touched on there, that was the result of the survey that was put put out. We had Paul Kelly on the show from St. Rocks, and I thought he, I thought he was brilliant because the way I was thinking about things, he had a different perspective on it. Like, you'll have a different perspective on it. He kind of felt, we actually, it was that good we actually put it out in two parts, but Paul actually thought, or St. Rocks, not Paul, uh, thought that when the survey came out, there was four questions asked, and, and they kind of felt that the the league didn't really want us to go back and start just now, but I was always under the impression that the league would try to do everything to get us to start. What, what was the perspective on that, Kenny? Would, would, would the league's preference have been just to have stopped and start in January, or were you guys quite happy to go now? Uh, well, again, I'll get back to what I said. We're, we're run by the clubs, and if the clubs decided to start on the 24th, we're happy to accommodate that. More than happy to accommodate that. At the end of the day, we're off football, guys. We want to see our football. and But we weren't going to put anybody under pressure. We had to give them the chance to decide what it was. I don't know where the four questions come in. There was only one question. Do you want to start on the 24th? Or do you not want to start on the 24th? Now, if the question had been answered, no, we don't want to start on the 24th, that would then have led on to other questions. I.e., do you want to scrap the season or do you want to delay until we've got a clearer picture? But at the end of the day, the end of the, the, the question was, we're starting the 24th. So everything after that was a relative. It didn't matter. So, yeah, we wanted to play football. We want everybody playing football. But 
we're not going to put anybody under the pressure that we put them out of the game. That's the biggest thing that we're looking at. We've got to protect the 67 clubs and make a decision for them. And I was very surprised when it did come out that we were going to play on the 24th because in the meeting before that, the kind of uh, <clears throat> overall consensus was that most of them wanted to delay and wait until things were a wee bit clearer. But when the results come in, well, that's what we had with the 24th of October as a start date. So then we've just got to get things moving and get things prepared to do that. I know you said then you, you give the kind of four weeks grace. Teams starting, they had four weeks then where they could opt to pull out the league if, if it wasn't for them. Do you feel, and I certainly felt like by week four or week three, Surely clubs would have known. Surely clubs would have known by then. Because obviously, and I'm saying it from a personal point of view, we're now in a conference in nine teams. So it's like, that then can't be changed. Do you think teams should have maybe let you know before the four weeks? Well, when we... you know yourself, Ken, if you you know yourself, if your team's going to make it past that or not. We had to give the clubs the, the call on that one. We had to give it to them and say to them, right, OK, you've, uh, the teams that have agreed at that stage, we're playing football, there's your league, there's your setup. we're going with it. Uh, but we're taking a look at the survey here that said 75%. Now, 75% was a big number. 75% of the clubs said that they would struggle to survive beyond four weeks. So we had to give them that opportunity to play those four weeks and then reassess their situation. And thankfully, the majority decided they were going to play. Unfortunately, uh, Conference C seemed to get the the ones that were pulling out and that's how it ended up going going down to, to nine. So, but it's what we have, so... You just have to get on with it. And, and, and as I say, that was just protection of the clubs. Do you also think as well, Kenny, that uh, the creation of this new West of Scotland, again, I can only speak for myself, I've seen this as a real opportunity, big branding. Nobody knew the pandemic was coming. But I, you know, I was expecting, I'm not saying pomp and ceremony, but certainly, you know, a new kind of brand and a new way of going. Do you think this has all kind of diluted the brand and, and, and the opportunity that the West of Scotland League had to, to make something special? Uh, there there's no doubt we had a, a great opportunity to unveil big brand new West of Scotland Football League and, you know, have the, the big trumpet fanfare and big opening ceremonies and whatever you had and, you know, but that was that's all been taken away from us. Uh, we certainly didn't uh, think it was going to come to this. So yeah, I missed the opportunity, but it is what it is. We're going to go on with. Paul mentioned uh, Paul Kelly being on the other week, and, and another thing he said, which I presume you'll refute, is that the way the way things have been handled the league was seeming to be supporting the clubs who were pulling out more than actually supporting the clubs who were saying they wanted to play on. 
Absolutely disagree with that. Totally disagree with that. Uh, we've always been about protecting every club. And for the clubs that want to play, then we feel that the decisions we have been making are to protect their integrity and to protect the integrity of their leagues and to give them targets and to give them a league worth playing in. Uh, I mean, I'm taking what he was probably referring to was the fact that anybody withdrawn now might suffer some sanctions. Now, that's to protect the teams that are playing. Because I wouldn't like to see us getting to March or April and then a team deciding, you know what? We're not going to win anything here. Let's just chuck it and save a bit of money to the end of the season because we're going to restart it in, in August anyway. So let's just chuck it. So then all of a sudden, another team draws it and all those results that a team maybe sitting top of the league has got, all, all, all these results are null and void and everything's up in the air again. So for me, that was to look after the teams that had decided to play. No, not to look, not to punish the teams for withdrawing, but to protect the teams that had decided we're in this. We've got to play to the end of the season. We've got a good league here, uh, and, and I'd also go against anybody that says that these are just glorified friendlies. I'm, I'm maybe maybe picking up Paul there might be a bad uh, reference, but. New men's have you you played two games at the moment, Paul? Yeah. Do you think they were, did you play them just like friendlies? No, but we but I'm also Kenny, one of these people that I don't play friendlies like friendlies either. Do you know what I mean? It's not as if it's exhibition matches we're playing. We play five asides. We play seven asides at training. There's fighting. Do you know what I mean? It's competitive, there's a competitive edge in everything we do and and every club up and down the country, I think. In our league would be the same. Uh, so and that I, I've never been one for saying oh they're just glorified friendlies because also there's trophies to be won, there's medals to be won. But the one thing I will come on to though, and this is maybe a bit of a crossover from from what maybe Paul had mentioned on the show previously. Teams like Gart Cairn uh, were pretty vocal uh, because they now feel that with well, not being a promotion. They, they, they're ambitious, they want to go up the pyramid, they've, they've maybe got the, the means to do that, they are now maybe feeling the IMG have now stuck us behind the eight ball a little bit and uh, we, can't, we can't get promoted this year and then if we don't get out next year we are two years behind where we want to be That, that, that was always going to be a problem uh, but we tried everything to, to, and we looked at different ways that we could try and bring in promotion and relegation into it. But at the end of the day, when we went to the SFA, they told us that if you want a rollover to restart your season next August, that means you've got to start from what you have. Now, if you were to take it that your Premier Division is already... Uh, get more teams than it should have. We're looking at seven relegations coming about when it does get started. 
But if you looked at that away at the, at the start of all this, there were five teams who decided they were going to participate in that league. Now, if they were to sit in that league and we were to promote somebody else into it, and the SFA said they wouldn't accept any more teams, so to promote anyone into it, somebody would need to get relegated. So you relegate somebody that plays and leave somebody that doesn't play in that league, I think that's grossly unfair. I know if I was sitting as a secretary of one of those clubs that was playing, that I might consider I would be in the relegation zone, I would be sitting saying, well, I'm going to pull out. I'm not going to play. Because that way I'll protect my, my position for the next season. So, no, no I'm sorry, but we, we tried to get, we, we tried even to get one promotion place. And the SFA wouldn't have it. So we're stuck with what we had. Would there have ever been a case to consider this year and say, look to all the teams that, I mean, I'm just a layman in all this when it comes to fixtures and stuff, Kenny, so uh, shoot me down. But if we'd went maybe two conferences and the teams that were that, that won the conference go up into the Premier, we still have promotion and relegation, and the teams that just happened to sit out because they can't afford to to get there, join the conferences next year? Would that have, was that never up for consideration? And, and if not, why? Well, just for the reasons I've explained there, the SFA told us they would accept us playing from August with the, the, the structure that we have. And with teams sitting out for a season and being promised that they wouldn't uh, be sanctioned for sitting out, which would have had to happen if we'd relegated some teams. So you're then forcing teams to play because they didn't want to get relegated. And you might be forcing these teams to play and they don't have the structure, they don't have the the wealth, they don't have an income. So these teams could be going to the wall because of this. And like I said, we're, we're not about that. So we had to go with, with what we have for next August. And so therefore we couldn't relegate anybody. And because we can't relegate anybody, we can't promote anybody. My view, my view though, for it is, and I, again, I'm looking at through New Mains coloured tinted spectacles here, right? We're not the wealthiest team. We're we're by far, we're we're at the bottom of the pile. We've got in there and continue to continue to play. But this team's a lot more wealthier than us that have that have stepped out. Yeah, there's no doubt. But every every team has got their own level of. Uh, income and expenditure. Now, just because you're sitting at new mains, you might not have a great uh, income, but you might not have a great expenditure either. So I think it's all relative to your own circumstances. Uh, whether whether you're rocking leg or our dear, every penny that comes into your club will, will, will have a route, a, a route out. So... Whether whether you've got a hundred pounds or a thousand pounds, <laughs> at the end of the day, you, you you've got a budget with the money you've got. And and that, that's probably my point for for the sake of this year. They maybe I would have had to have budgeted to say, well, do you know what? We've not got the fans. We've not got the income. Then we're going to need to just do what other teams do and cut their cloth to suit 
Well, obviously, it's not, it's not as if these guys are all on three or four year contracts and big wage budgets in terms of most of them will be on year to year. Yeah, well, exactly that. So every club has got to look at their own set of circumstances and make their own decision. So, I mean, there's, there's clubs similar to New Mains have decided to opt out as well. So, you know, it, it's no, it's not a one-size-fits-all on that question. Every club has got to look at their own set of circumstances and make a decision that they think is best for their own survival. Is is there a part of you that's still fearful that the deadline has passed for clubs to withdraw without any punishment? That I mean, you mentioned it earlier, a team could get to April, but they might not even get to April where there's a winter to go through and so on. And and they come and say, listen, we're pulling out the league. Number one, is that is that a fear? And number two, I mean, the deadline was set that teams could pull out without any punishments. What kind of punishments, or have you even addressed this aspect, what kind of punishments could teams face if they were to withdraw from here on? Yeah, well, we have looked at it. Uh, We don't think it would be right to issue a monetary penalty, so I don't think we would go down that road. And the only other option for us then is a, a points penalty. So, you know, I mean, let's put it this way. If COVID had not interfered with our league and we had started normally in August with the 67 teams in the leagues that were originally meant to be in and we got to January and somebody, some club decided to say, uh, we're packing in. Well, what, what, what reaction would we have had against that team? They would have been sanctioned. It would have happened. So why, why is now, after the deadlines have been passed, we gave them the opportunity, so why should these sanction, sanctions not be used now? And presumably the points penalty, it's an obvious thing, but the points penalty would come in from next season, assuming they come back to participate next season. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and, and so, I mean, is that is that a fear, though? I mean, that the, 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 the financial realities or the... The hope that things might change in the new year, you know, the the the, the dawn doesn't come for a bit longer than than everybody hopes it, it does, and clubs kind of just see the harsh reality, and somebody comes knocking on your door and says we're having to pull out. Is that is that is is, is it is it a fear that that could happen, or are you fairly confident now that the clubs who have who have all said they'll take part have got sufficient funds and means and, and enthusiasm, if you like, to get through to the end of the season? Well, we, we hope we hope so. Uh, we hope that the clubs have took the, the opportunity and, and looked at how it's uh, progressing over the the weeks that we have had and have had the opportunity to withdraw. So hopefully we don't get any more withdrawals. I'm certainly not looking for any to, to come about. So I, I hope they've all done their sums and I hope they're, they're all going to survive to the end of the season. Was anything explored, particularly when the conferences had to be redrawn? Was anything looked at in terms of regionalizing things arguably more than they are? Or because of some teams being out on a limb location-wise, was that never quite 
something that kind of came into the the, the league's look uh, league's kind of consideration? No, we, we we looked at it long and hard. I can assure you that we looked at various setups for the teams that were left in the conferences, and we did look at regionalisation. But it didn't matter how you fixed them up. There were always going to be teams in the outlying districts, you know, teams that are kind of further out than the rest. And they were always going to be hit with uh, long journeys. Regionalising them didn't really help them. So there was also the, the call from, I would say, a majority of clubs that we needed to keep these leagues as competitive as possible. And that was the decision we finally came to, that we were going to reorganise the conferences in line with the system we used to set them up in the first place. So that was us using the teams on merit. So we decided to go with that. And I know there were some clubs who thought, oh, we're travelling here and we're travelling there. But the regionalisation wouldn't have been helpful, I don't think. I think we would have lost quality in each of the conferences. And I think when you look at the conferences, they're all pretty competitive. I think there's some good teams in there and there's some good games going to be coming about. What was the re- what was the reason, Kenny? That because we had a, before everybody pulled out, we had the original conferences set up. What was the reason for kind of changing them from the teams that were in it to to how you've got it now? Was it done like on a a seeding basis or anything like that? Uh, we we used the seeding that we used to set the, the the conferences up in the first place, and we went back to those positions and we seeded them in there to balance them up to give them. 13 teams in each. Right. And unfortunately, some withdrew after that. We had uh, we had Tommy Montgomery on last week, the, the co-manager at Yoka. And uh, we were obviously talking to him about what happened before their game against Drumchapel when, when they had a one COVID, uh, one positive COVID test and uh, the Yoka claimed that when they came to the league, the league said we need evidence of of, of seven um, incidences, whether it's positive tests, players um, waiting on test results coming back, or players having been contacted by uh, track and trace. And when they couldn't uh, provide that evidence, he said the league said the game must be played. In the end, the game they they called the game off and got hit with a, a three nil. Uh, walkover result. Drumchapel won that game um, or took the took the points with a 3-0 win because they couldn't fulfil the fixture. He was talking about how they were going to appeal that decision now. We had a long discussion about it, but from, a, from the league's point of view, is it necessary to have something in place to stop clubs who could maybe, and I'm not saying Yoka did this, but clubs in the future could have injuries, could have players unavailable, so they pull the, sort of the, the, the COVID uh, excuse out the hat and uh, try and get a goal, uh, a game called off. Is, is is that where the league were coming from with that with that um, decision? Again, this was something that's unprecedented. 
uh, as far as the COVID side of it is. Uh, and again, we had a long drawn out meeting discussing the way forward for this, for this kind of circumstances. We consulted with the SFA, with Scottish Government, with Sports Scotland, uh, and we felt the best way forward was to use the rules that we had in place in the past, where if there had been, for instance, a flu outbreak, which did happen in the past, and doctor certificates were produced to provide evidence that your club was decimated, your squad was decimated by uh, players having the flu, and if you had that evidence, then we would postpone a game. We didn't get that. We had uh, Johnston Borough the week before that, and we asked them to provide the same. Uh, they couldn't come up with it either, and they managed to get a team together and they played the game. When Joker got in touch, we asked them about Test and Protect, and Test and Protect hadn't been in touch with any of their players, so we felt there was no need for the game to be postponed, but Joker took the decision not to play the game. So I think we were left and a, a situation that wasn't to our liking. We didn't want this to happen. We hoped they would look at it and decide to play. But they decided they weren't going to play, so we had no option but to impose uh, that sanction on them. Now, your guest last week was on uh, about deducting three points from Joker. We didn't deduct three points from Joker. Joker didn't have the points to deduct them. So we didn't deduct anything from Joker. We awarded the game to Drumchapel and that was that was all. You know? So it's we, we need something in place. We can't just have a club phoning us up and saying, uh, I've got a player out because he's tested positive. I want the game off. I might as well tear the fixture last up if that's going to be the case. What, what, what Tommy also said last week, which was something I hadn't thought about, was that using that using this situation as an example... If they were in a similar situation again, or any club was in a similar situation, would they be reluctant to report that one COVID test because of the repercussions that they know might be down the line, i.e. that it might be their belief they should be calling this game off, but but why report it if we're going to get hit with a 3-0? Well, I would think that uh, the coronavirus should trump everything. Now, if you're concerned about coronavirus, then you should report it. It shouldn't be a question of whether you're not going to report it because you have a game to play. If a player has got coronavirus, he should be reporting that. Immaterial to the circumstances. I would say it should be... I'd, I'd be concerned about 
not not just my football colleagues, but concerned about my work colleagues and my family. So I would say that anybody that's tested positive for COVID would be duty bound to report it. Now at that point, test and protect takes over. Now if test and protect don't contact anyone, then there's no need for everybody to to self isolate. There's no need for everybody to say, but because I, I I did have a a situation a few weeks before that when a team phoned me up, a team manager phoned me up and said to me that Test and Protect had been in touch with them and told them his full team must now self isolate. And when he when he, he dug deeper into it, he discovered that one player had tested positive, and he was self-isolating along with his brother who travelled in the car with him but yet Test and Protect had advised them that everybody was now to be self-isolating and when he got back in touch with the supervisor he says no somebody in the call centre has not handled this properly has uh, the player been in contact with anyone other than his brother and he said no we've followed the rules to the letter We've only been at training once and we're all training in the zones that we're supposed to train in. Nobody's in uh, contact with anyone. Nobody's within two metres of anyone for any length of time. Never had 15 minutes. Test and protect come back and rescinded all those uh, warnings. So the, <laughs> they were allowed to play. So, I mean, that, that was a team that had been told they had to self-isolate, but they were they, they wanted to get their game played. So they, they dug into it and they found out that uh, there was no need whatsoever for any of them, apart from the two that travelled in the same car, to self-isolate. So there's a lot of misinformation out there, I would say, you know, uh, and I, and I hope that we're trying to provide the right information if the teams ask us. Well, I think that's, that's, that's the guidance that we're giving them. Go with what test and protect tell you. Do you? I mean, do you approach every weekend now with a bit of trepidation? I mean, we've heard managers in the in the Premiership talking about how the anxiety they go through while they're waiting for the test results for their squad to come back, fearing there might be an outbreak. Are you kind of, as I say, approaching the weekends with a trepidation, just hoping you can get through the next weekend and then the next weekend and then the next weekend? That, that's always the case. <laughs> <laughs> that's always the case. I'm material to what's going on. I mean, since I started doing this job, uh, I get up on a Saturday morning and I make sure my phone is 100% charged. <laughs> and I just sit there and look at this phone and I'm sitting there thinking, please don't ring. Please don't ring. <laughs> <laughs> so I the trepidation every week immaterial to what's going on at the moment but uh, you know like I say I just hope we get as many games played as possible are you, are you confident and have you been impressed with the teams that are playing obviously you know you're putting out a lot of actions uh, right from day one you know warning them of you know passing on the information and the message as to how things have to be operated can't use the changing rooms and so on. Are you confident all that is being stuck to? Uh, well, let me just say this. 
sometimes when I, I mean, I, obviously I can't go to a game, so I'm sitting at home and I put the computer on and I, I, I look for a game that's being streamed live and sometimes I'm cringing when I'm watching it because it seems to me that the players just seem to, some players just seem to ignore the advice. They, they just seem to congregate together. They want to sit in dugouts. You know, they're no, they're no properly keeping their distance. So sometimes I'm just sitting there thinking, oh, I can't watch this anymore. So, uh, but I, I think that's just a minority. Uh, and because you see it, you're thinking, uh, we, need, we, need, we need to be more uh, active and we need to get, I mean, we need to make sure the clubs understand what this is all about, you know, and why we need them to keep their distance. I mean, if you've got clubs that are claiming they need to get a game off because somebody's tested positive, you've got to look at the reason why they tested positive. Is it because they're sitting huddled together in the dugout? We've had, uh, obviously, communication from the IMG over the last few weeks. I think it's maybe folded from the uh, Scottish FA regarding the use of, well, no use change rooms. Is it, uh, what's the proper word you're using? Change, is it changing facilities? or Changing spaces. Changing spaces. Uh, how far away, Kenny, do you think we are from that? Or do you think the whole Tier 4 thing for areas has just knocked that right on the head? No, we're, we're actually in the process of getting a document prepared. Uh, obviously, I don't think it will be in time for us to get the use of the facilities on Saturday. But hopefully, if we can get this out, then maybe the following Saturday, uh, some clubs, and I, I'll go to stress this, some clubs will be allowed to use whatever spaces they do have. But we must stick to these uh, guidance, the, the guidelines that does come out. And and if your club can't meet these guidelines, then fine. Don't don't get worked up about it. You'll just have to continue uh, changing where you're already changing. But if you have got enough space and you can uh, put an amount of players in a room and another amount of players in another room, then fine. But you must make sure that everything that we put to you is done properly. We can't just go and say, right, guys, there's there's space in there for nine players, but they're 12 years getting there. Don't tell anybody. can't have that. How does that... We'll be coming under a lot of scrutiny with this. And and if we can't get this right, when when it comes to asking to get fans back in, if we can't get the basics right, what chance have we got of getting the fans back in the gate? Surely from like... We've got to look after the players' side of things first. Surely from like a compliance point of view, though, that would need police, surely. Again, it's going to be hard to police... But we've got to put a lot of onus on the clubs. We've got to put a lot of trust in the clubs. 
there will be uh, documentation good to the clubs and they'll need to fill these in and send them back to us. But hope, hopefully once they see the guidelines and they can see whether they can or can't use their spaces, then they'll make the right call. And these guidelines are specifically relating to, I don't know, the amount of square footage per person allowance or words to that effect along those kind of lines? Yeah, it will be something along those kind of lines. The rooms will need to be kind of, the rooms will need to be measured and they'll need to decide, you know, we've got four rooms here, we can split both teams into those four rooms, then that's great. If you can only accommodate one team in those four rooms, then you'll accommodate the away team. So there, there's a lot of big decisions that are going to have to be made, but if the clubs are, you know, one and want to continue playing football, then fine. Let, let's just go on with it, guys. Do it, do it right, do it proper. We've kind of talked about a few things there that have that you've had to deal with in a kind of a wish you you didn't have to deal with them since. But on a, on a positive side, I mean, despite a global pandemic, despite all the challenges you've had, the league's managed to secure a sponsor. Um, how big a? I mean, I was going to say how big a deal is it? You know, in two in two definitions, I suppose. How big a deal is it? in terms of the financial side of things, but how big a deal is it that you could get a sponsor in conditions like this as well? I think it's a, I think it's a, it's big enough uh, that we have managed to secure a sponsor in, in, in these situations. Uh, the actual uh, basics of it, uh, I don't think it'd be right for me to discuss these at, at this moment in time. But it is a big sponsorship, uh, and uh, we're looking forward to working with them. We should say it's PDM Buildbase who have come on board for one year or two years, Kenny? Uh, two years, I think. Two years. Um, but, I mean, we see the difficulties that leagues up the way are having getting sponsors on board. So to, to pull that out the hat... Must be must have been seen as some some achievement because there must have been some concern about the financial viability of you know the new structure partly at times you know with with so much with so much uncertainty around the game. Yeah, of course, of course, it's a big deal. Uh, you know, just to even go to somebody and ask them to sponsor a league that's in its infancy, uh, that. You know, there's no fans been allowed to the games, uh, and you know everything, everything involved with it. It's, it's a big thing for for any business to get involved in a sponsorship deal in any sport. I would say at the moment. So yeah, we're very, very, very happy for them to come on board. I'm Adam Hopes, co-manager of Drumchapel United, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. It's been a busy week for player movements. Thornywood have made five new signings. Jack Baptiste, Alan Campbell, two of them have joined from Royal Albert. Mark Fitzpatrick has arrived from Les Mahago and Grant Kelly signs from St. Anthony's. 
They've also finally completed the signing of Ali Small. He's a teenage striker who was with Jerviston FC Blue. Kaluk Rovers have brought in two goalies. Dean Wilson was previously at Bells Hill and joins on a permanent deal. Josh Kane has arrived on a season-long loan from Alloa. Brother Glenn, Glenn Cairn boss Willie Harvey has snapped up former Rangers youth midfielder Lee Cochran and ex-Kilmarnock youngster Callum Shields. Irvin Meadow have taken Nathan Baird on loan from Air United for the rest of the season. They've also signed defender Fraser McMillan, who was previously at Maybole. Rossvale have brought in former Livingston and Dumbarton midfielder Kyle Pryor, while ex-Rangers and Cambus Lang Rangers midfielder Gordon Dick has joined Lanark. He played the last three league games as a trialist, but put pen to paper this week. Johnston Borough have signed Josh Fowler from St. Caddox, while Craig Mark have brought back Stephen Cargill for a second spell. He was most recently at Hilford Thistle. And finally, Ashfield have brought in Connor Beedham. Connor had been at Celtic and had spent time training with Sterling. Hi, my name is Jamie Nesbitt, manager of Thornwood United, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Delighted to say West of Scotland League Secretary Kenny Young is our guest this week. Kenny, I wanted to ask you just why are you still putting yourself through all this? And and more to the point, how have you got your family to agree to it? Because, um, I mean, I was, I was reading about the promise you made to them when a couple of things happened what, 15 or 16 years ago in relation to your work with football. And I mean, yeah, so what, what, why are you putting yourself through this? Uh, I ask myself that quite a lot. <laughs> I love football as simple as that uh, I love this level of football I've been involved in the junior football since I was a kid so it's just been a natural progression uh, I started off with Luger uh, and I enjoyed being involved in the administration side of things Uh so, I, like I said, just being a progression, uh, got involved as a Ayrshire League, then got involved in the West Region when it uh, came together. And I was there as a delegate for my club, then moved on, became vice president, then the president. And then I stepped away from football for a wee while. Uh, and... I hated it. I hated not being involved. And that is why I, I thought, you know, when the opportunity came uh, to get back involved, uh, I took it. And I don't know how, but I enjoy doing what I'm doing, uh, perversely enough. Uh, <laughs> glutton for punishment, I suppose, but you know, uh, I don't. I always remember uh, an old uh, watch boss saying to me that once I, I went into his office once, and I walked in and I says, "Right, boss, we've got a problem." He sent me out. He says, "Get out that door. Don't come in here with a problem. Come in here with a solution." So I've I've kind of used that as my mantra, and I the the football, especially doing the fixtures, always throws up plenty of problems, but it's my job to find a solution. 
sometimes these solutions will no satisfy everybody, but I try my best. I was I was reading a post you I think it was on on Pie and Bovril where 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 you'd written the account of of uh, why you'd kind of come out of football initially. I mean, it's it sounded like you know the the stresses, the strains. You you it reached a point for you where you thought, now this is actually now this is this is getting more about more than just football. It was affecting you, you know, your health and all those kind of things. Was what you, the post you'd written? Aye, well, that, that that's true. At that time, at that time, I had to come away from Luger. Uh, it really was. It was getting to me, and I had the feeling that, for the sake of my my health and my family, I had to take a back seat from that. You know, uh, and also for the the health of the football club, because about that time, that the stress and the strain of it was all because I was basically almost a one-man show and I thought no I can't continue with this the club can't continue like this the club needs new blood club the club needs new people to come on board and, and I, I even got to the stage where I'm thinking maybe the club's not attracting anybody because I'm there uh, and I, I know I've heard it a couple of times with guys telling me you know I just leave it. Kenny's still there. He'll sort it out. But it got to a stage where I wasn't able to sort it out because you can't do the, the you can't run a football club on your own. You need help from others. And I and I took it on myself that I'm I'm now the problem because I'm there and because everybody's relying on me and they think I'll just somehow or other wave my magic wand and things will get fixed so I had to step away and let other people come in and take charge so that's why I had to step away from Luger at that time and is, was there people there that could take over Kenny was there people keen you know, Luger's quite a small place was there a lot of volunteers did you have to advertise for people to come in no we had to advertise for to get people to come in uh, the club was on the brink uh, and but you know there's a lot of good guys down there didn't they want to see the club go at the wall so they managed to pull themselves together so good luck to them how tough was that though because you, you I mean you did leave uh, you did live and breathe that club didn't you when when you were there you know it must have been a a gaping hole in your life when when uh, you know I don't know the first Saturday the first Saturday a game was being played and I don't know whether you went along or whether you decided to stay away, but it must have been a very, very different Saturday. Uh, uh, totally. Uh, it really was. It was a big wrench. Uh, I remember going to my first game back down at Luger. Luger were at home. And I'm on the terrace in my usual spot, and a ball get kicked over the fence. And I'm looking around about, and there's nobody going for it, so I'm away. <laughs> so the fellow I'm standing with where are you going? I need to go and get that ball. Nobody went for it. It's not your job, only me. You don't need to go for it. Where you go? <laughs> I'll still need to go for it. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's hard not to. Uh, it's hard to switch off. But uh, aye, it's it, it did leave a bit of a gap in my life. But I start, I moved on. And in, I mean, in the job that you're in, I guess you've touched on it a few times already. That you, you know, it's impossible to please everybody and. 
I guess you need a fairly thick skin. There's been grudges over the years because people don't think you've given a, in your current role, I mean, or in the previous role at the the West of the Juniors West region, you know, you, you hadn't given them a decision they felt was was right and these kind of things. It's, 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 it's not a job to be in if you want to be liked all the time, presumably, and, and there have been grudges and things like that that you've had to deal with. Uh, if you haven't got a, a thick skin, don't get involved in football at any level. You know, uh, and you've just got to accept that you're never going to please everybody. You've got to accept that you're going to make some tough decisions. But at the end of the day, you're doing it for all the right reasons. So you, you've got to, you've got to live with it. But it's not it's not a, a case of uh, I, I get worried whether anybody likes me or dislikes me. You know, I, I'm there. I'm there to do a job, and I think I'm doing it quite well. So if uh, I think I'm uh, doing the right thing, then I'm happy with that. As long as I'm happy about it, then I'm fine with that. I think in Kenny's defence as well. Kenny's done a great job since he's come in because prior to Kenny taking over, especially in the West Region Juniors, we used to get our fixtures out two weeks in advance. So it was kind of unfair slightly on supporters and stuff like that because they actually didn't know where they were going to be in two or three weeks. You couldn't make that the, the plans. But I remember when you come in, Kenny, one of the first jobs you'd done was, I think you got us maybe six months worth of fixtures straight away, uh, if not a full season. I can't, I can't quite remember how it worked. And that going into the the new structure, the West of Scotland League, that would never have worked how it was working previously. That's two weeks in advance. It's just so Kenny actually come in and actually changed the way the fixtures were done. In fairness to Kenny, I well, I mean, I was just looking looking at things and thinking this could be done better, you know. And and, I, and coming from a club's point of view. I knew the benefit of getting advance notice of fixtures because you need to know who you're playing and when you're playing them. When you're going to approach sponsors, you're going to try and sell your hospitality, you know, everything's geared around about that knowledge. And I was really, when I did get the job, I was really happy to be able to prove that it could be done. At the same time, I also saw a forum post, I think you'd, you'd written, where you signed off uh, soon-to-be ex-secretary of the West of Scotland League. I mean, how how long are you uh, intending to be in this in this position? Uh, are you hoping to be there, you know, for a long time to come? Or when you came and joined and came on board, were you saying, you know, I'll sit here for so long, I'll help the transition, and then I'll be off? Well, everybody that's on the, the IMG, I mean, the, the clues in the name, it's the Interim Management Group. Everybody that's on that at the moment has, has been co-opted on. We haven't been voted on by the clubs yet. Uh, so, because basically, uh, this structure still belongs to the Lowland League. And we're only there to assist with the running of it. Uh, when the, the handover does come about, we will need to put ourselves, well, whoever decides to go for it, we'll need to put ourselves up for election. 
so to answer that, I'm happy to be here as long as the clubs want me to be here. And it's as simple as that. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll put myself forward for the job. If I get it, fine. If I don't get it, fine. I've just got to come in, Kenny, and say that could there ever be a point where, they, where we just remain under the Lowland League banner or, or will that 100% change to the West of Scotland? No, that, that will go it will go to the West of Scotland because the clubs need control of their own uh, future. So they, And they need to control their own association. The, the Lowland League has no intentions of hanging on to it. Uh, in fact, they, they want to hand it over as soon as, as possible. But obviously, with what we have at the moment, then we're hanging on with, with what we have to try and guide us through uh, the worst of this. And I think we're looking at a timescale of March where we will put up a, an AGM and vote on, the, the clubs will vote on their own people, whoever that, uh, whoever that is, will, will be down to the clubs. You, you talked earlier about the brand and the bright new dawn of the league. Do you still see a bright future for it? You know, would it, would it just take a little bit of time for the the tarnished kind of aspect of it caused by COVID to kind of wear off when hopefully things kind of come back to as near as normal as they can be? I think it's exciting times ahead. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get off to the start we wanted. Uh, come August, I'm hoping that everything is back to some kind of normal and we can get the 67 teams all up and running and forge ahead and then the, the, the season after that we're going to have four linear leagues so yeah, I think it is very exciting at the moment uh, and exciting times ahead You said you were always interested in the administration side of the game Did you? what about your playing days? I never <laughs> no I was never blessed with the, the football skills put it that way uh, I would say that uh, you know, when you get in the, the, the local park for a kickabout, I was always uh, happy if I wasn't picked out second last. <laughs> Sorry, if I wasn't picked out last. If I was picked out second last, that, that was that was a bonus. <laughs> so I, was, I was never a star. You quickly came to realise you could be uh, better off uh, with a pen in your hand than with a ball at your feet. Yeah, uh, certainly, certainly. <laughs> My name's Chris Strain and I'm the Cohen and Rangers manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Before we finish up, we'll clear up the Down the Divisions decider. Uh, Paul was pretty confident at the start that he got uh, got this worked out. So just a reminder, I'm looking for the club that was named after a nearby river. Their crest was designed by a school teacher and has an eagle on it to represent two fishing towns. They've won the Highland League twice, and they reached the fourth round of the Scottish Cup in the 2006-07 season, losing to then First Division side Pardick Thistle, right? If Paul's confident, I'll give you another I'm another not. chance, Kenny. Have you, have, you, have you got any idea now, Kenny? No? I'm trying to think of a, a, a team with a river in its name, and I'm, I'm really struggling. I was My first thoughts were Cove Rangers, but... Um, no, I'm not so sure. No, you've got me with that one. All right, Paul. 
I'm now wrong because you said two towns. I'm sure I was going to say Inverness, Caledonia, being the Caledonian Canal, and they've got an eagle on their badge. But is Inverness not a city? See, you're thinking too deep, Paul. No, it's uh, it was Devon Vale. Oh, there you go. The River Devon uh, has and has it has got its mouth in Banff. Um, so and Vanessa's got an eagle on their badge, haven't they? There you go. Anyway, I'm wrong. Disappointing. Kenny, thanks for thanks for joining us, and uh, really appreciate you coming on. We, you know, it's not often we get um, you know people on from uh, organisations to to speak as, as frankly and, and to to clear up some of the the things that have been been kind of said on the on the show in previous weeks. We hope uh, obviously that the the, the COVID situation as soon as possible but you know to allow the the league to to flourish as we all hope it hope it does but no we really really appreciate you coming on no problem thanks for having me don't forget you can get in touch with comments or suggestions for people to speak to or if you'd like your club's audio featured on the show our email address is down the divisions at gmail.com that's down the divisions at gmail.com or you can get in touch via facebook twitter or instagram Do leave a comment which helps others find us and subscribe to get alerts when our latest episode is released. We'll be back next Friday on Down the Divisions. 